0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit hopekelowna.ca. So, Jesus, we come to you and we are so thankful that you are the chief, chief shepherd. You are the chief elder. You are uh, the senior pastor of this church. You are the one who is in ultimate control and authority of not only the church, but of this world, of this universe. And so, we, as we have been worshiping you today, I pray that, that uh, we would just get a greater glimpse of how great and how amazing and wonderful you are. Your great love that you have demonstrated towards us. And God, even we're just thankful for the way that you have provided and met the needs for our church over the last number of years. Uh, For these five and a half years, you have been so faithful, and we trust you um, to continue in that, that you will be faithful in building your church. And would we be faithful in coming alongside and serving? And uh, we just pray for the Embrys in these days. We pray for Don's health, that he would be strengthened, um, and that he would be encouraged by your spirit through the word and through us as the body of Christ as well for both he and Elaine. For office building, we commit that to you too, God. You know our needs and you know um, just, just what would uh, suit us the best. Would you lead us and guide us um, in that and, and the team that is working on that? And God, just as we look forward to meeting again together physically, uh, we, we, we pray that there, the timing and then just even the atmosphere, the environment in which we are able to worship would would be ultimately so we can sing your praises and fellowship together with your people and invite new people into the fellowship of, of believers at Hope Bible Church and that you would do a great work in our lives, in this, um, in this city, in this region, and in our nation, we pray. And so bless this time now. As As we go into your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You can take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter, uh, the book of 1 Peter. We are beginning a new series today on the book of 1 Peter. And um, Lord willing, we are going to work through this verse by verse for probably the next 20 weeks or so. Yeah, that's right. Probably around the next twenty weeks, and and uh, there'll be some breaks in there more than likely. But we're first of all going to start out by getting to know a little bit about the author, the one who who wrote this book, uh of First Peter, or I guess we could say a letter to some churches and to Christians. Now Peter was a, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He was one of his disciples, and he's obviously the author of First Peter. He's writing this letter as now an older, seasoned pastor, and he's writing. To people, to Christians who are facing some hardships and some difficulties, including growing and mounting persecution in their faith in Jesus Christ. And and the persecution is coming in in the Roman Empire. And it says in in verse 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And I think we have a map of uh, of that region. And this is a region in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And it is written to these Roman provinces, to the Christian that are there. These Christians were facing persecution, as I've already stated, from Rome. You'll see Rome over there on the far end of the screen. Uh, on the far, uh, I guess, left of, uh, of the screen, you're able to see um, the area of Rome. And so there's mounting persecution that is starting in Rome and moving throughout the Roman provinces. And I think that our world and our nation, our church, and our families um, could use some hope. And this is the whole theme that, as Peter is writing this, it is writing to people who needed some hope. And I believe that we, too, are people who need hope. We need this reminder. And the problem is, though, when it comes to hope, when it comes to satisfaction, when it looks when when it comes to our happiness, we're oftentimes looking for a hope here on earth, and so much of what we ha- put our hope in, and so much of what we are pursuing, are dead ends. It is an empty hope. You see, worldly hope is kind of this: cross my fingers, and I'll strive, and I'll work, and I'll hope for the best. And, and we put our hope in money, in our finances, or maybe it's in the approval of people, or maybe it's in relationships, that if I have certain relationships, then there will be kind of this hope, and, and, and we hope for these various things in our lives, whether it's career or job or education, or... We you know, have other hopes. We hope to one day get married or hope to have children. And, and then once that happens, it's, well, I had hoped or I hoped that my spouse would be more loving or caring or supporting or forgiving. Or I hope that my children, oh, love them, but I wish my children were more obedient. Or I hope that my career that I worked and strived for would be more fulfilling. And so all of these empty hopes, these empty dreams, we also put it in other things and maybe more trivial or smaller things um, that, that maybe aren't nearly as important. But, you know, we put our hope in maybe a new hairstyle or a new outfit or a trimmed down body that, that would just make me feel better and, 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 and feel maybe more attractive. And so we hope that one day we might achieve some of these things or these things would happen. We put our hope in our finances, uh, hoping that our, our finances would bring us a joy and a peace. And all of these are dead end hope. It's not going to last, it's not going to work, and yet we put so much time and effort and pursuit in all of these things. And I think we have been in this pandemic now for, what, about two months now? and we just hope that we can get back to normal. We hope that we can physically meet together as a church. Some of you are hoping to get into the hairdresser soon, and and, and Dwayne, who was leading worship for us this morning, we're thankful he got in just today, I believe it was, or yesterday, and he, I mean, he, this guy was in some desperate need, and I think his family, especially his dear wife, would agree, yes, this man needed to, to get in there, and so we're Thankful, we were hoping they would open. Now hair salons are open. We're thankful for that. We put our hope in in that sports may start up again, that we can watch some sports on TV, and you know whether that be hockey or football or basketball, hoping maybe they'll restart again or baseball. <laughs> well, not baseball. I mean, like who really cares about baseball, right? Um, oh, sorry, Fred and Leona. I think uh, you folks might be the only people I know that that actually care about baseball. Um, anyways, w- we just kind of hope for life to get back to normal. And yet when you think about it, many of us maybe weren't that satisfied with our normal lives before the pandemic. And so we're hoping for something that we found no hope in. It just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. So much of our hope here that we place our hope in is temporal. It's on things that won't last. But 1 Peter is a book all about hope. It's a book about a living hope. And just listen to kind of the theme verse or the hub verse. It's in verse 3 of chapter 1. And I hope your Bibles are open. And we're going to look at other passages today too. But this is a key one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is verse 3 of chapter 1. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. A living hope, a live hope, a sure hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, biblical hope is not like worldly hope at all. Biblical hope is 100% certainty. It's a 100% guarantee in Jesus Christ in what he has done. It is a 100% guarantee in life after death in heaven. And God desires to meet us right here, right now, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of the longings that we have in our heart. God desires to meet us and infuse us with living hope. No matter what even happens to us here in this life, there is life-lasting, eternal hope available to you. It is available in and through only Jesus Christ. A hope that will never die. A hope that will never fade. A hope that will never end. And this is going to be, I believe, just a very amazing, timely, thought-provoking, heart-challenging message series for us as we really get digging into this book. But before we do that, we're going to look at the author. We're going to take a look at the life of Peter. We're going to look at the men. We're going to look at the mess-ups. We're going to look at the mission of the Apostle Peter, the one who the Holy Spirit then, near the end of his life, inspired him to write, under the control of the Holy Spirit, this amazing letter. You see, Peter, he was quite the guy. And I think in many ways, even as we talk about him today, and many of you already who would know anything about the Apostle Peter, you would think, you, know, you can relate to him in different ways and in different areas. And, and Peter is very easy to identify with in, in, in various ways. I, I mean, part of it is, is that he was just out there. He was very real. You got to see, you know, kind of what he was doing oftentimes where a lot of the other disciples you didn't hear too much about. And yet, um, there, there's an important reality, and important truth here. And, and, and I hope that we get this today. And it is this. If there is hope for Peter, there is hope for me. I want you to say that out loud wherever you are. If there's hope for Peter, there's hope for me. Now now turn to whoever it is that you are watching with, or if you're not watching with anyone, just say it again and say it a little bit louder. Say it now. Let's all say it together. If there's hope for Peter, there's hope for me. I encourage you to write that down, and I encourage you to repeat that to yourself uh, through this message and um, even after this message. You see, Peter was a guy who asked more questions than all the other disciples. He was the guy that attempted to walk on water. I think we have a picture of this, kids. Take a look at this. This is from some Sunday school material, I'm sure. Uh, There he was. He was attempting to walk on water, and he did for a couple of moments, but then he sank because because he got his eyes on the wind and the waves and took his eyes off of Jesus. But Peter was this eager, brash, Not always very dependable, oftentimes afraid, uh, a guy who fell asleep at the wrong time kind of guy. He did, however, make a great and powerful confession about Jesus Christ. He had some good moments, some amazing moments. He was there at the transfiguration on a mountain where Jesus was transfigured before an amazing, amazing experience for him. But then Peter was also a guy who emphatically denied even knowing Jesus. He failed miserably. Like another time that he failed miserably was when he cut a guy's ear off. Um, here's a Lego version of this uh, that I found on the internet. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus had to come to the rescue and fix up Peter's uh, lash out, I guess you could say, or ear off that, that, uh, on the guy. And, and yet, Jesus restored Peter victoriously you see one thing about Peter is you basically you always knew what he was thinking because he was always talking and so oftentimes he would talk before he would even think it would seem Peter was a guy who boasted too much prayed too little acted too soon followed too far and oftentimes thought too late and so this morning, we are going to kind of cover some, some, some snapshots of Peter's life. And, and we're going to do this, first of all, by just covering off the first part of the first verse of this great book. And in chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to see three ways, three different snapshots of Peter, that if there is hope for Peter, there is hope for me. And, and, and these snapshots will give us some insights into his life, but also insights into God's great and amazing grace. And the first thing that we see here is that Jesus knows my past, and he has a plan for my future. I hope you write that down because you need to remember that, and you've got to return to this truth. Jesus knows my past, and he has a plan for my future. You see, Peter's very first encounter with Jesus was in John chapter 1, when Andrew, his brother, Brought him to Jesus. And you can go and you can read. There's, there's passages on the screen. I encourage you to write those down as well and, and to read them in their entirety this week because you'll be that much more informed about this amazing Apostle Peter. And and so the first thing that we see in John chapter 1 in verse 42, it says, Jesus looked at him. Now that word looked is important. I'm not going to say much about it now. I'll say a little bit more about it later on. But if you have your Bibles open there, underline the word looked. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. And in this moment... Peter had no idea who this Jesus was exactly, but in this moment, Jesus knew everything about Peter. He knew his name, he knew his father, who his father was, he knew everything about him. He knew exactly what he was getting himself into when he called Peter to be one of his disciples. And believe it or not, Jesus knows everything Everything about you today, he does. He knows your name. He knows your past. He knows your family. He knows your history. He knows the hurt you've endured. You know the abuse that you have suffered. He knows the failures, the mess-ups, the screw-ups, everything that you have experienced, everything that you have done. Jesus knows everything about you. He knows the hidden things from your past. He knows the things going on in your present. He even knows how the future is going to turn out. He knows the things that you have said, you have done, or even have thought. And yet, listen up, because of God's loving providence, and that word providence means God's divine care and guidance, and because of God's amazing grace is enough and so amazing to include you in God's purposes and God's plans, and you can belong to him forever. God has a plan for your future. He knows about your past, and yet he has a plan for your future, and we will see, once again, if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for you. There's hope for me. Now notice, Jesus changes Peter's name. This happened from time to time in the Bible when God gave a calling on his servants or, or made a certain promise to, to, to his servants, to his faithful ones, he would change their names. Or, or sometimes the names would be changed, it would seem to reflect a change in their character. or or to let them know that they were destined to be on a new mission with their lives. For example, in God's word, we have Abram, his name being changed to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Or Jacob's name was changed to Israel, or Sarai's name was changed to Sarah, meaning the mother of nations. Or Saul was changed to Paul, or Simon to Cephas, or to Peter. And so here we see Simon, going from this shaky, shifty, unreliable mess-up and failure to a rock-solid apostle of Jesus Christ, preacher, pastor, who did amazing things, touched the lives of many in the early church, and millions upon millions upon millions of people throughout history, through his story, and through this amazing letter, and then the second one he would write, 2 Peter as well. But you see, for Peter... To be redeemed and rescued from his past, he needed a pivotable, pivotal moment with Jesus. And we read and we see about this encounter in Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, I encourage you to, to, to look at that passage. Simon Peter, he was a fisherman. He was in the family business. And he had fishing partners by the name of James and John. Sound familiar? Yes, they were good friends. Now, they had been fishing all night in Luke chapter 5, but caught nothing. They got skunked, as oftentimes a fishing term. I don't know if they say it here in BC. I know in Saskatchewan that was always, oh, we got skunked. We didn't catch anything. Well, they had a bad night of fishing. And and that was the best time for them to actually do their fishing. And and so now it's early in the morning. They're cleaning their nets. Jesus comes to the Sea of Galilee. He comes to the shore, and he asks if he could borrow a boat and just be pushed out just a little ways from shore so he could speak to the crowd that had gathered around him. After he finished speaking, Jesus then uh, told Peter, he says, why don't you take your boat and send it out into the deep and cast down your nets for a catch? And Peter was like, We fished all night. This guy's a rabbi. I mean, what does a rabbi know about fishing? This isn't the best time to fish. It's a bad time of year. And our nets are already clean. And, and I'm thinking, he's thinking all these different things. I just want to go home. I just want to get to, get, get to bed. I want to get rested up and go out fishing again. But you see, Peter actually gets this one right. Because we end up seeing in Luke chapter 5, verse 5, Peter's response, he says, But at your word, I will let down the net. Or I like how one translation puts it, Because you say so, I will. You know, that is one of the best responses we can have when it comes to obedience, and when it comes to following Jesus. Because you say so, I will. Because your are even though it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, because you say so, I will. There was this obedience to Peter, and we see this surrender where he's basically saying, yes, Lord. They end up taking the boat out, and they end up catching a -a catch-a-fish that is nearly ripping their nets. Another boat goes out, and and both boats almost sink because they are so full of fish. In verse 8, it says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is that pivotal pivotal moment where everything changed for Peter. With an obedient, surrendered heart, he said yes to Jesus. You see, it's in that moment when he understood who Jesus was and he understood that he was a sinful man, he says, depart from me, O Lord. He sees him as Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is the moment here where Peter's new life began. And this is where new hope and living hope began for Peter. And this is where new hope and living hope begins for you and me. Have you had that pivotal moment in your life? In understanding that you have sinned before a holy God, that we have all sinned before a holy God, and that understanding that Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life and paid a substitutionary death on the cross to cover the penalty for our sins. He endured the wrath of God, the the wrath that you and I deserve. And his victory over sin and death can become our victory over sin and death if we put our faith and our trust in him, if we humble ourselves, if we surrender ourselves to him. And we are willing to follow him in obedience, just like Peter. And there we see that Peter he didn't turn into an entrepreneur and think, hey, Jesus, we could make a lot of money with this catch of fish. No, he drops everything and he follows Jesus. Peter would later write about that transformation in 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll get to this in a few weeks, Lord willing. And, and in verse 18 and in, in verse 19, he says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but you were ransomed, he's talking about being ransomed by the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus knows my past, he knew Peter's past, and he had a plan for his future and he has a plan for my future, he has a plan for your future. Second of all, Jesus takes my pride, Jesus takes my pride and he builds humble dependency. I encourage you to write down the verses that, that come with that, too, from Matthew chapter 16. You see, in Matthew 16, we end up seeing, once again, Peter is just this great work in progress, and at times, he has sweet victory, and then times of incredible failure, just like us, right? In Matthew 16, Jesus asks his disciples, in verse 15, he says, who do you say I am, and Peter jumps in, first one to speak, not surprising, and he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I mean, Peter nailed it. This was like, yes, yes, baby, I got this one. You see, Peter is dialed in. He's dialed in his spiritual truths. I mean, this, and Jesus even said, you didn't think of this on your own, Peter. This was God telling you this. God of this universe is revealing spiritual truths to Peter. This is amazing. But a danger was lurking around the corner for Peter. You see, in the midst of great highs, And great accomplishments, pride and arrogance, and self-sufficiency can so easily set in. You see, somehow, we always kind of keep wanting to take the credit, and somehow we think we're something, or that we have something to do with great accomplishments, whether that be in business, in our studies, in athletics, or spiritual accomplishments, when we encourage, or counsel, or teach, or Bless others or pray or whatever. And, and we receive a compliment. And, and, and next thing you know, we become proud. We can become so arrogant so quickly. And Peter is like, yes, I nailed it. This is awesome. But six verses later, six verses. And Peter's thinking he's on a roll. <laughs> I mean, God's revealing stuff to him. Like, how amazing is that? But verse 21 Says Jesus was telling his disciples that soon he would suffer, he would die at the hands of the religious leaders and, and be raised again. And Peter says, No way! Oh, that's not happening. No way, not on my watch. That is not happening to you, Jesus. <laughs> and he's he's pretty good here in, in just you know, pretty emphatic on this. And and what does Jesus say to him? This is powerful. Verse 23, he says, Get behind me. Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. In one moment, he's giving this great revelation about Jesus and, 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 and God's plan, that Jesus is, is, is God's plan for this earth. And next thing, he's trying to stop the plan of God from even happening. Jesus was, was just commending Peter, and now he's calling him Satan. Those are some pretty harsh words. And this wouldn't be the last time for Peter, where he would speak too quickly or speak too fast and not be thinking, only to be humbled greatly. But you know what? Jesus is so patient. He is so loving, and he is so caring. Jesus was teaching Peter in this moment to humble himself. And if we don't humble ourselves, God, because he loves us so much, will eventually humble us. Jesus takes our pride and overconfidence, he takes it seriously because he knows it's gonna ruin us. It's gonna destroy you. You may get some good traction for a while, some accolades and, 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 and just look so awesome. But there's an emptiness in there and, and, and pride, you just it's like a raging fire. It just consumes you. And Jesus takes our pride and our overconfidence and he produces humility. Years later, a seasoned and a humbled, God-dependent Pastor Peter would write these words in 1 Peter chapter 5. In verse 5, where he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility towards one another for god opposes i mean that's pop- god opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble he goes on humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of god so that at the proper time he may exalt you do you want to be opposed by god or exalted by god humility thinking of others greater than ourselves thinking of ourselves this isn't a self-hatred this is just an acknowledgement and understanding that all we have and, and everything about us is all from God. You know, years ago, Charlotte and I moved from Saskatchewan to Alberta to a solo pastor position in a small town. And I'm telling you, it was a rough start. And it was only God's, by God's grace that, that church and that we survived. And I remember it was a number of years into this, and, and I believe Clarice was just a little baby at, at the time. And, and, and one Sunday, it just seemed we had turned some, some really good corners in the life of the church. And, and one Sunday, I mean, in particular, I remember this. There was a good attendance, and the sermon was like, a oh. A swing and a knock it out of the park. I mean, you just knew like it was it was awesome. And, and 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 the conversations after church were so good. And and I remember pulling up to our little house that we had and 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 bringing Clarice. And I put her down on the front step. And it was this beautiful day in June. And I remember it was like I don't know if I literally did it, but I was kind of rejoicing. And I was waiting for Charlotte to bring the keys to the house. And I was doing the Rocky Balboa moment, you know, like you know, I the tiger getting so- stronger, yes, and and it was just this awesome ah, moment. And then I opened the door, and there was a note, a letter from a disgruntled church person, and suddenly was humbled and on the ground so fast and brought so low. And I remember that as a significant event because that was just one of the many times that the Lord has been gracious, and I say gracious, enough to humble me. God has used people, whether it be family or friends, elders, other church leaders, staff, church people, enemies, various circumstances, mental and physical health issues. All of these different things in my life, to expose my pride, my self-confidence, my self-reliance, rather than pursuing a humble dependency upon God. And he's exposed to me and continues to even do so where I can live more for the praise of people, the praise of man, rather than the glory of God. And like Peter, I can be a slow learner. And I kind of have a feeling I'm in pretty good company. But Jesus takes my pride and my overconfidence, and he builds humble dependency. And yet, if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for me, right? There's hope for each one of us. And thirdly, we see, Jesus forgives my failures, he heals my brokenness, and gives me a fresh start and a new purpose. I encourage you to write that all down. There's a lot to write there, as well as those scripture passages. Those are key passages we're going to look at. If getting called Satan by Jesus uh, was like a big F in the report card for failure, if that wasn't bad enough, there was another bigger F coming, a bigger failure. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, right before his crucifixion and death, Peter declared his allegiance to Jesus. And he said, Jesus, no matter what happens, (laughs) I'm there. I will never fall away. I will never disown you. And what happened, and you all know this story, what happened just a few hours later? He denies knowing or associating even with Jesus. Not once, not twice, but three times. And in Luke's account, in Luke 22, in verse 61, it says that as the rooster crowed, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. This was after his third denial and the rooster crows. And, and, and makes this sound And that word looked, underline that word look, the Lord looked at Peter. Now, what do you think was in that look? I mean, sometimes we hear that person just gave me the look of death. That person just gave me the look. Or the look can can portray a lot of different things. There's a lot of messages we can send with the look. What do you think Jesus' look was saying to Peter in this situation? Peter, you're such a loser. Can't believe that I ever chose you. Can't believe that you would deny me. Or was it a look of anger? How could you do this? How could you let me down? Can't believe it. I wasted all that time on you. Now the Greek word for looked here is the same word for look that we just talked about in John chapter one, just previous to this. When Jesus first spoke to Peter for the very first time, it says in verse 42 of John 1, he says, Jesus looked at Peter. And again, here now in this passage in Luke 22, the Lord looked at Peter. You're saying, what's the big deal about this word look? We have to understand what this word means. This word looked was, was a look of concern. It was the idea of compassion and Love. Jesus didn't look at Peter with disdain or anger or frustration. It was a look of grace. It was a look at Peter of, I love you, Peter. And I'm so concerned for you. Today, Jesus Christ looks at you. Despite our failures, our mess-ups, our screw-ups. And he desires to forgive and to heal our broken hearts. We see in John chapter 21, a few days later, a few days after the crucifixion and resurrection has taken place, we have this beautiful scene on the beach, and Peter is back fishing. He didn't know what else to do, and he and some of the other disciples said, were heading back fishing, and Jesus shows up. Another great catch of fish takes place, but then Jesus and Peter have a talk on the beach, And three times, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And three times, Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. Three times, Jesus also says to Peter, then I want you to take care of my sheep. I want you to care for my followers. And a few weeks later, Peter would stand up, bold and empowered by the Holy Spirit and preach to thousands. And and thousands of people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ had that pivotal moment in their lives as well. You see, our God is in the business of forgiving, empowering, fallen, weak, yet broken, surrendered people who come to the end of themselves and desire to live for his glory and his purpose. You want a life that is blessed by God? This is it. This is how it's gonna happen. And our God is in this business. Peter would go on to serve in a mighty way. But don't think that Peter never messed up. Years later, in Galatians chapter 2, we read about this, that the apostle Paul was writing, and Paul was writing, and he was pretty emphatic about this. He, he was writing in, in, in Galatians 2. He, he was like, I had to pose Peter to the face because he was in the wrong. He was clearly in the wrong over what he was doing. and You see, Peter had made, and you can go ahead and read this this week in Colossians 2, Peter had made some bad choices. He was living in a hypocritical way. He was giving in to peer pressure, Rather than standing for truth, he buckled, and Paul confronted him. And you see, just because you have been in the faith, you're older, you may have, you know, some titles behind your name or in front of your name, or you're considered to be mature in the faith, or hold certain positions within the life of the church or in society, it doesn't mean that we can't and we shouldn't be confronted and challenged about our ways or our behaviors, because we are all a work in progress. And Peter responded very well to that sharp rebuke and went on to continue leading the church of Jesus Christ in a great way. In fact, he was a leading spokesman in Acts chapter 15 for a very important council, the Jerusalem Council. And it would be years later that an older, wiser, humble, humbled, spirit-empowered encourager of the church would write this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. We'll get to this in a few months. Be sober-minded Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in your faith. Just this past week, I was reading, I'm in a Facebook group for people who are living in in the upper mission in Kelowna, and I was reading this pond just at the end of our street that a cougar has been sighted there. And and a cougar, they say, if you see a cougar, it's too late, and and, and it's in, in trouble. Now, thankfully, some people saw the cougar and were safe. But that's a pond that we regularly go to and don't think about twice. But as that passage reminds us and tells us that that the devil, it's like a a cougar, just prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour, and we have to be so careful. Resist him. Be careful. Now, these are just a few snapshots in the life of Peter. This is gonna be a good journey for us as a church. But you know, when Jesus... Change Simon's name to Peter, he was essentially saying, Peter, right now, you might be a sand dune. You might be kind of shifty. You might be kind of shaky in your faith, but you are going to be a rock. And I have a plan for you, Peter, and that plan is good. God had a plan for Simon, for Simon who became Peter, and God has a plan for you. What would your name be today? Peter's name was changed from Simon to Peter to Rock. You see, the moment that we get honest before God in full surrender and give him all of the pieces, maybe those pieces of our lives are even broken dreams or fears or our possessions. Whatever it is, and we give it to God and we surrender it to him, he will rename you. It's biblical. Perhaps it's admitting, God, my name is anxiety. And God, I confess to you my sin of fear of anxiety. And before you, and and as you come clean in this area, in honesty before God, and say, God, would you help me? Would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me? Jesus will say, I'm gonna rename you. You'll no longer be anxiety, but you will be peace. Or perhaps you admit today that your name is addiction. Jesus can rename you to freedom. Or maybe your name is rejection, and Jesus says, Come to me and let me change you. Find your identity in me, and I'll remain, rename you to acceptance. Or maybe your name is bitter, you're angry towards someone, or maybe to many people, maybe even to God. You give it, that to him, those people, those situations in full surrender to him. He'll rename you and call you sweet. Or perhaps your name is fear. He wants to rename you courage. Or maybe it's guilt, and he'll call you clean. Or maybe it's depression. He wants to rename you joy. Or maybe it's suicide. He wants to rename you life. We run to Jesus. Full surrender. Maybe there's private struggles. Struggles in the soul that even no one else knows about, but Jesus knows. He knows the depth. He knows the hurt. He knows the agony. He knows the battle. He knows everything that you're facing. Jesus knows everything about you, and he still loves you. He cares. and He wants to give you a new name. And it starts with humbling ourselves before God. And it oftentimes also includes humbling ourselves before others and say to brothers or sisters in the body of Christ, help me. Help me in this. And it means that we admit and confess, we surrender to Jesus just like Peter did over and over. And this pattern gets repeated throughout our lives. Jesus can change you. He can transform you. He wants to rename you. You say, okay, this renaming thing is kind of corny and meld No, it's biblical. There are a number of passages, including in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, that tells us that we will be renamed. And listen to what it says. To the one who overcomes, to the one who conquers. The one who conquers the addiction, the rejection, the bitterness, the fear, the guilt, the depression. It says, I will give a new name written in stone. And just like Peter's name meant rock, Jesus wants to rewrite your name, your identity, your past, and give a glorious future. Let's pray. And so God, even now, we're just so thankful that you are a God who loves. You are a God who cares. Would you meet each one of us today Right where we're at. Would we get on the floor, even right where we're at right now or later on in the day and come like Peter on our knees and say, oh Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinner. And yet you won't depart. Instead, what you did to Peter, you'll do to us. He'll say, get over here. I have a plan for you. I want to forgive you. I want to love you. I will give you second and third and million chances more because that is the grace and the love that you Show towards us. And so God, I pray that you would meet us today. You would change us. Thank you for the body of Christ. Because through these battles and struggles, we are not to go through them alone. But we start initially with you. But then we rely on one another in the body of Christ. And I encourage you to, if you need prayer, that you would fill out a connection card and just say, I would like to have prayer. And we'd love to phone you and talk to you or request a meeting or a counseling session, whatever it is. No battle is too great. No struggle is too strong. No sin is too deep. For the grace and the love of our great and wonderful Jesus. Would we glory in the salvation that he offers.